My name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central. And uh, as I've been preaching over the last few months, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we're into chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, you might want to be turning to the passage that we're looking at this morning, which is Mark chapter 2 and verses 13 to 17, just a few verses in Mark's Gospel. So we've been, as we've been looking in the Gospel of Mark, we've been finding out who Jesus is, what he's all about. He's been declaring that the kingdom of God is near. We've been finding out some of what that means. This is one thing to say, the kingdom of God is near. What does that mean? He's been teaching people about it. He's been setting people free from oppression, delivering people, healing people. And as he's been doing that, he's been gathering quite a crowd. So, let's, uh, let's read these verses, Mark 2, verses 13 to 17, which says this, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." All right, so we see, as soon as we get into this passage, as I said, Jesus has been gathering quite a crowd, and large crowds are still following Jesus. Some of us aren't very keen on crowds. I don't know if you like crowds or not. Actually, to be honest, in Fredericton, you don't get crowds very often. I think the only place, really, that I've seen where you gather a large crowd is uh, Saturday morning, 10 a.m. at the farmer's market. There's a pretty good crowd there, usually, but uh, most of the time, not so many crowds. Um, Where I used to live in the UK, if you went to the shopping mall on a Saturday, you knew what crowds were like. It was an absolute nightmare. Um, Some of us aren't very keen on crowds. Some of us like to keep things small and quiet. But do you know what? God loves crowds. God loves crowds. In fact, when we get to heaven, there will be crowds of people. You just need to get prepared for that if you're not too keen on crowds. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, this vision that John has, um, he says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. There's going to be a great crowd in heaven. You're going to be part of a great throng, a great multitude of people. Interestingly, we're meeting in a new venue this morning. Um, Things like that can be a little stressful too. We just give a lot of thanks to the people who've made this happen again this week and set up our move team, our AV and uh, words team. It seems every week they've got new battles to overcome, new obstacles. They do a great job in setting up for us. We've actually met in lots of different places 
over the years. I've only been here 18 months in total, six months uh, a few years ago and just about a year now. In that time, I counted up, we've met in seven different venues. Seven different venues in 18 months. Joe, where have you gone? Do you know how many we've got, we've met in over the years? 21 venues in 20 years. That's pretty impressive, give or take, <laughs> give or take. Um, and over the last eight years, we've moved to many different places. We did have a, the building that we've got on Brunswick Street because we've got too little space. There wasn't enough space for us to keep gathering at Brunswick Street. It was great to see that video, isn't it, of, of Dave and Rosie. And Dave saying, 20 years ago, we came and we gathered, and there was just a handful of people, really, just a few people gathering. And now the church has grown. We've outgrown the space that we've got. And, and right now we're pretty full, often at Devon Middle School when we're there. Um, and our hope and desire, just so you know, our hope and desire is to keep on growing, to keep on growing and gathering more people. Now, that might, get, that might bother some people. Some, pe some people, do you know, they leave growing churches because they like small churches. Some people do that. They say, oh, this, this church is getting too big for us. But we, we don't want to grow numerically and gather a lot of people so we can look good, so we can be the biggest church in Fredericton. We desire to grow because we've got a calling from God to gather people from Fredericton into his family, to gather the lost, to bring in the lost sheep from Fredericton. That's our commission. That comes from God himself. And it will mean that it's not always comfortable or convenient for us. Jesus gathered a crowd. We st he still gathers a crowd today. And uh, it could be that initially those crowds come for different reasons then ultimately God would like them to come, to come and know God. And ultimately, what we might like them to come to. Um, the crowds probably flocked around Jesus because they wanted to see miracles. They wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to see the show. They'd heard the news we saw last time about how a man was brought on the map because they, the, his friends wanted him to be healed. That was why he came to Jesus. It wasn't about long-term relationship with Jesus at that point. They came because they wanted to see a healing. But as crowds gather, as people get to know Jesus, and as people come into God's church, actually, they grow to love the Jesus that they encounter. They grow to love the God that they meet. And they grow to love his teaching. Mark chapter 12, we see later on in Mark's gospel. Um, Mark chapter 12 and verse 37. It says... The large crowd listened to him with delight. There at the bottom. Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, and it says the large crowds listened to him with delight. They grew to delight in the teaching of Jesus because Jesus was bringing good news, and people need good news. Later on this year, we're going to start up a kids' club in uh, one or two communities over in the north of Fredericton, and uh, children are going to be gathering in. They may come for any number of different reasons. They may come because we're going to be doing some great games. They, they may come because we've got lots of exciting competitions going on. They may come because we're giving away free candy at the end of the morning, which we probably will be. But do you know what? We are going to introduce them 
to Jesus. And I believe, I know, eventually, some of them, many of them, will come because they've got to love Jesus. They've grown to love Jesus. That's okay. It's okay if they come for a different reason to start off with. Some people say, well, you're just bribing the kids to come with candy. Do you know what? I don't care how they get there. I want them to meet Jesus. Because when you meet Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. And if that's how I can introduce them to Jesus, here's the candy. Now sit down and meet Jesus. <laughs> Jesus attracts crowds. But he calls individuals. He calls individuals. That's what God does. He's gathered a crowd today. There's a crowd here today. But his call is personal. And Jesus is calling Levi in this passage. He's calling Levi. He sees him and he says, follow me. Levi was a tax collector. He was sitting at his booth. And a tax collector's booth was pretty similar to a customs post uh, these days. Capernaum, where Jesus was at the time, was a border town. Capernaum was a border town. Travelers passed through Capernaum all the time, and they would be greeted by agents like Levi. And Levi and his uh, compatriots were in the service of the Romans. These men were Jews, but they weren't practicing Jews. They weren't committed Jews because committed Jews wouldn't expect to be associating themselves with Gentiles, with non-Jews. These men, like Levi, are far more interested in money and in personal gain than they are in religion. That's what they're there for. They would make bids in advance to the Romans. The Romans would say, okay, who's going to tender, tender the bids? Who, who's going to pay so much for this, for this booth, this spot on the road? And whoever bid the highest, they get the job. They pay the Romans the agreed amount, and then they sit there and they collect the taxes from the travelers who come in. And however much profit they can make from those travelers, great, they get to keep it. Anything over and above what they've paid to the Romans, they get for themselves. And so there was a lot of overvaluing of goods going on. There was a lot of extortion that was going on from people. And, uh, and the Jews hated the tax collectors because they took their money from them and they gained from it themselves. And they already hated the Romans and so they're already paying the taxes to the Romans. It's a perfect storm of like, these people are so despised so despised. And the job attracted the worst in society. That's why so often they're lumped together in, in the Bible with sinners. In uh, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17, um, Jesus is talking about um, how we forgive each other and how we deal with unforgiveness in the church. And it says at the end of that, just a phrase, he says, if they uh, refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So he's saying, you know, these are the worst of people. That's pretty much, I mean, and obviously Jesus loved the, the, the pagans. He loved the tax collectors. But he's trying to get a point across. He's saying there's something here that the two are together. They're seen in the same light. Tax collectors were despised and hated. So Levi, he was a social leper, socially. But he was a very wealthy man, probably. Jesus' others disciple, other disciples, they were not educated men. They were fishermen, 
many of them. But at least they were respectable. At least they had that. We need to understand it's absolutely staggering that Jesus called Levi to follow him. It would have been absolutely mind-blowing to people in the day. Jesus is calling Levi to follow him. He's calling him to be one of his disciples. Yet today, God still calls people to follow him who we're amazed by. He calls the people that we wouldn't expect. He calls the people who don't fit in the eyes of the world. We see in 1 Samuel 22, uh, David going to the cave of Adullam, and, uh, and 1 Samuel 22 says, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontent gathered around him, and he became their commander. He gathered a bunch of people who didn't fit in the eyes of the world, who wouldn't have felt they fit, but in David, they found their commander. And David was foreshadowing Jesus. And that's who Jesus gathers. Jesus gathers people who feel they don't fit, who don't have a lot of friends, who don't quite mesh the same as everyone else in society. That's what he did then. That's what God still does today. People who don't fit. Keith brought a great word this morning about that. People feeling they don't fit, but he said, but in Christ. In Christ, you fit. In Christ, you are in the right place. He's calling you. Even this morning, I believe Jesus is calling people, follow me, follow me. Levi left everything. Those other disciples, John, Peter, James, Andrew, they could go back to their fishing. They could go back to their nets. In fact, they did. You see later on after the, after the crucifixion, and uh, they've gone back to their nets. They're fishing again. And Jesus meets them on the beach. They can go back. Levi, there's no going back for him. He's left his booth. He's left his post as the tax collector. Someone's going to have to replace him. He's left everything to follow Jesus. A tax collector who abandons his post is done. But he's found something else. He's seen someone else far more attractive than his old way of life. Interestingly, Levi, he was probably one of the few people there who hadn't come to see Jesus. He, he was working. He hadn't gathered. He wasn't part of the crowd who'd gathered, pressing, oh, what miracles Jesus going to do now? Oh, I want to hear his teaching. I want to see if he's going to deliver. He's there. He's probably getting a little frustrated, maybe, with all the crowds. Or maybe not. Maybe he's getting more money from them. Who knows? But he, he's not there because he's come to see Jesus. He's at work. He's just in his booth. There's no indication he was even remotely interested in the things of God. Tax collectors didn't tend to be interested in the things of God. But God in Jesus was interested in him. He may not have had any interest in God, but God was interested in, in him. And he called him to follow. You might even be here this morning. Who, I don't know why you're here this morning. Maybe, maybe you've not really got any interest in God. Let me tell you, God's interested in you. God's calling you 
Jesus, his call's the same. Follow me. Follow me. Will you follow him? He's calling us into a new friendship with him. He's calling us to new life. Will we follow? It can be hard. It can be hard to follow, can't it? It can be hard to follow. We like to be the one in control. We like to be the one in charge. We like to be the one setting the agenda, making the decisions, setting the pace, having the authority. And to follow someone else, well, we have to humble ourselves. We have to step back. We have to say, someone else is number one. I'm going to follow them. It's a challenge to humble ourselves, to take someone else's lead. Someone else saying, come with me this way. We might say, well, I don't have faith for that. I don't have faith to follow. He has faith for you to follow him because he's come to you. You don't have to make something of yourself. You don't have to be someone or do something to impress. Levi didn't. Yet Jesus came to him and called. And Jesus' faith and obedience to the Father has made the way for you to come. It was what he did that means you can come and know God. We don't have to do it. Jesus calls us as individuals out of the crowds. But as we'll see later on in chapter 3, those people that he calls, he gathers in small groups. He gathers the 12. And uh, you may say, well, I look at chapter 3, I don't see Levi's name in there. It's pretty certain that Levi, his other name, or he became known as, we don't know, is, is Matthew. And uh, Matthew, if we read the Gospel of Matthew, which was probably written by the Matthew, Levi, it's the same story, the name is Matthew there instead of Levi. So we, we sometimes get confused reading this. It says in chapter 3, Matthew was one of his disciples, it's going to be the same guy. And uh, so Levi's called out into a relationship with Jesus, but then he's gathered in a small group. He's gathered in a community. He's gathered in friendship groups. And as a church, we may gather in a crowd. We may be hundreds and hundreds of people in the future. Who knows how large the church is going to be? But it's so important that we have smaller groups to gather in where we can be in community with each other, where we can be in relationship with each other, where we can work things out together in our life. That's God's method of discipleship. And some of us might say, well, do you know what? We're, we're quite happy meeting here on a Sunday morning. And that, that'll do me. That's all I need. Well, that's just part of what God is calling us to. Because he wants us to gather in groups. He wants us to gather in relationships. We need the strength and security and encouragement of being part of a local church community. And that means being part of a group of faithful friends not just sitting next to each other on a Sunday morning. You know what? This isn't community this morning. You may be thinking, well, it is. It's a group of us together. We're, we're all one church. But it, this isn't community. You know, sitting next to each other, sitting next to someone here, you're not going to receive too much encouragement from them probably. You'll probably just catch the flu. <laughs> but, but the more... <laughs> The more we grow as a church, the bigger we get, the more important it's going to be to be in a small group, 
to be in a small group community because that's the main way that we're going to get cared for. 20 years ago when Dave and Rosie came, I don't know how many, he says a small group. Joe's gone there. Angela, how many was it? It was small. <laughs> you would have all known each other. Who was here 20 years ago when that started up? Some of us are still here. That's impressive. Okay, we've got seven or eight or nine of us here. Whew. It was small. You will have all known each other. You will have all loved and cared for each other. You'd have known what was going on in each other's lives. And you've got Joe and Angela. They're going to look after you. They're going to pastor you and shepherd you. And then as you grew and the church grew, there's others who come in who are going to love and care for you. Brent and Karen coming in on the staff as a pastor as well. I've got April coming in. Others coming in and caring. But we're getting to the point where there's just going to be too many people. Too many people to, to be able to just go to Joe and Angela and say, oh, can you, would you, because they can't know everyone. Brent and Karen, myself and Debbie, we, we, we can't know everyone because it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that care is going to have to come in smaller groups. And you might think, well, we're missing out then. Well, actually, you'll get better care. You'll get better care because you'll get people who know you more intimately. You'll get people who know you as well as Joe and Angela knew that first little group that started meeting here 20 years ago. And that's where we'll get cared for. So please, as we go on together as a church, as we gather, as we grow, as we reach out to others in Fredericton, let's make sure we're connected to a small group where we can find that community and strength and encouragement and friendship. Let's embrace what God's doing among us. He's gathering crowds. He's gathering crowds. So Levi, he follows Jesus. And then he throws a party. He throws a party. And at that party, there's lots of tax collectors there and there's lots of sinners there. You know, many people want to be with Jesus. And Jesus attracts people that no one else wants to know. But they came. They came because Jesus, they saw that Jesus loved them. They saw that he had compassion on them. I mean, Jesus has been preaching the kingdom of God. He's been preaching repentance, but he doesn't only preach repentance to sinners. He befriends them as well. It's not just about standing and saying, you know what, you need to change your life. You need to repent. You need to turn away from your sin. He comes and he draws near and he's their friend. And he's with them. And he goes to parties and he goes to weddings. And people accuse him and say, oh, he's just a drunkard. He's just a glutton and a drunkard. But he wasn't. Because Jesus, in being with them, he doesn't just get sucked into all of the stuff that they're into. He doesn't get drawn into partying with them. He's drawing them to himself so that their lives are transformed in the same way that Jesus, that Levi's life was transformed. And, and the religious people, they just can't understand it. They just cannot get their heads around it. The religious people, the Pharisees, they say, well, what are you doing? Why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus has an answer for them. He says, well, I've come for the sick. I've come for the sick and not the healthy. Now, he knows that the Pharisees are far from healthy. He knows that the, for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, it's all show. It's all on the outside. It's all about looking good. And he says to them in other parts of the Gospels, 
And we read, he says, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look nice and neat and white on the outside. He said, inside, rotten, absolutely rotten. Vipers and snakes and all sorts of things going on inside you. The dead are in there. But the Pharisees think they're well. The Pharisees think they don't need him. They're not sick. These are the sick ones. Jesus says, this is who I've come for. I've come for the people who, who know they're sick. I've come for the people who know. I've come for Levi, who's sitting there, and he's getting all the money in. But do you know what? It only takes an instant for him to realize relationship with Jesus is about far more than this. Gathering lots and lots of money, but inside, what's going on in him? He knows he's sick. He knows he's sick. And Jesus has come for those who struggle with life. People who think they've got it all sorted, they're not interested in Jesus. But for those who struggle, for those who are depressed, for those who are in torment, they welcome Jesus with open arms because they find out he can bring life and healing to them. That's who Jesus spends his time with. He says, these are the people I've come to be with. I've come to be with the pagans, the tax collectors, the outcasts, the nobodies of society. Who do we spend our time with? Who do we spend our time with? People who are like us? Just people who are believers, who are Christians? People who've got the same social background to us? Or actually, are we going to those where no one else wants to go? We should be, because Jesus is saying, follow me. And if we follow Jesus, that's who we go to. That's who we'll go to. Jesus is calling us to go. As a church, he's calling us to be involved in communities on the north side of the city, in the Devon area, possibly First Nations community. He's calling us to be involved in people's lives on the south side of the city, through the drop-in on a Monday, and in many other ways. Do we want to go? Will we draw close to people that others may not want to go anywhere near? Will we become friends with them, as Jesus did, even if it might get messy at times? I might say, oh, yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm not sure I feel called to that. Yes, you are. Jesus said, follow me. Go where he goes. He's calling us to follow him. I... Became a Christian, I had a, begun a relationship with Jesus when I was 19 years old. And a few months later, a few months after uh, coming to know God, I joined a beach mission. And uh, the beach mission, I don't know if you've heard of those, that's the name for them in, in the UK. They're a bit like uh, summer camps, I guess, uh, on the coast, um, uh, on the beach. And, uh, and it was for elementary school children. Actually, it was for a number of different ages, but I was working with elementary school children. It was a very, very affluent area of the UK, probably one of the, the richest areas of the whole of the UK for two weeks. And almost all of the children who came were from that area. They lived in that town. Uh, they were from the churches there, from Christian families. But there was one child who was there when I went, who was from the East End of London. And the East End of London is the really tough area of London. Some of the tough talk guys came from the East End, and they talked... Oh, I'm not going to do it. Because <laughs> I'll, I'll come up with some strange accent that isn't anything like it. <laughs> if you ever watched My Fair Lady, that's the accent from the East End of London. 
Um, and, uh, and Owen, Owen was this little boy. He was a troubled little seven-year-old boy. He got angry a lot. He kicked out a lot, physically kicked out. And uh, he was there because he'd been sent there, uh, paid for by a charity that was working with underprivileged children in London. And so they paid for him to have a vacation by the sea. And he was staying with this Christian family. And so they brought him along to the beach mission and they brought him along to the groups. And uh, most of the leaders there did not want Owen in their group because Owen was hard work. He was hard work. But whilst everyone else had Christian parents, pretty much, to teach them about Jesus, I realized Owen didn't. So I said, well, I'll, I'll have him in my group. And I took him in my group. And do you know what? He was hard work. He would fight with the other children in my group. He would get angry. He would lash out at me. My ankles were sore by the end of it because he would kick me. And, uh, but two weeks of it. But despite all of that, I, I grew to love him. And the next summer, I came back and did the same thing again. And I said, as I was coming back, I said, is Owen coming back again from London? And they said, oh, yeah, he is. He's staying with them. So I said, could he be in my group again? They said, oh, yes. <laughs> I think they were pretty relieved that I, I was willing to have him. And this time it was just a week, and so I had him back in the group again. And then at Christmas, they said, you know what, we're going to take all, because they're all in one, you know, one town. They said, we're going to have, we're going to have a kind of reunion of the mission, and we're going to take all of the children uh, to this kind of uh, countryside over New Year. We're going to have a New Year's kind of uh, vacation. We're going to take them all. So I said, well, can, can, I, can I bring Owen? Can I come and bring Owen? And they were like, oh, um, I guess so, if you look after him. And I said, sure, I'll go and I'll look after him. So I went and arranged for him to come from London and uh, went and got him and took him to uh, that. He was eight years old by that point. It was the first time he'd ever seen farm animals. He was just astounded looking at them all. Um, and, uh, and after that, after, after that, I tried to visit him whenever we were down in London, which, to be honest, was, was probably only a maximum of, of once a year. Me and Debbie would go down. We would take him out for the day and, uh, and hang out with him. And uh, when Debbie and I got married, we invited him to be our page boy. I don't know if you know what a page boy is. He, like, serves at, the wedi at weddings, a bit, like, um, a bit like a bridesmaid, a young bridesmaid, but a little boy. That's a kind of traditional thing that sometimes happened uh, in the UK at weddings. So we had him at 11 years old. He was our page boy, and he would walk down and, and be part of the wedding party. And uh, as he grew up and he got older, we invited him up to our house on occasions to stay with us for the weekend. Um, just probably not all that often, just a few times. To be honest, I didn't see him all that much. I didn't see him all that. Years would go by without seeing him. We'd sometimes speak on the phone. Um, I, I wasn't great at keeping in touch uh, we, when Facebook came out, we connected on Facebook. Owen's 34 years old now. He's still uh, a Facebook friend. He often comments on the posts that I put on Facebook. It's usually quite controversial what he puts. <laughs> so people will be like, and he'll come in with his comments on things and his views. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so honestly, it, it, it wasn't much. It really wasn't much. I'm not saying I did amazing or anything. Sometimes we can't do much. Sometimes we, we just do what we can. We can't do much, but we do what we can in following Jesus. We do what we can 
in introducing people to the love of Jesus. And, and it can be messy and it can be painful. But as we do, we're bringing the love of Christ to people who are sick and broken and in need of a doctor. And this week, just a few days ago, I'm Teresa, um, uh, who's part of us as a church, she, shared, she wrote an excellent blog post. It was just so good. If you get a chance to follow Jerusalem's blog posts, um, um, please do. She's excellent. And she wrote about her family and her and teachers and struggles that they were going through, just very honest. I was, it was great. And I shared that blog post. And Owen commented. And at first, I'm like, oh, no, what's Owen going to say? <laughs> um, and I read quite nervously, but he, then he started talking about his life and his childhood. And there were things that he said, some of them that I didn't know. And uh, this is what he said regarding children and, uh, who struggle and about his experience. He, sa he said this. He said, I've been where these children are. The disruptive sideshow, in my case, came because if I was poked and prodded and bullied enough, I would explode in a classroom. I was a kid with special needs from the age of about five to when I left high school. I was kicked out of three schools, two for threatening violence against teachers and one for bullying. I've also been systematically bullied as a kid for daring to be different to the cool kids. And then, and then he said this. I've known Mark for 30 years this year and Debbie probably around 20. It's about 25 actually. I met him at a church kids event in a place called Frinton-on-Sea. I came from poor parents with not a hell of a lot of money and a huge family on both sides of it, so I was always clamoring for the attention of the adults around me, which likely didn't help me in the slightest. Mark gave me faith, or at least he introduced me to it, and during my teenage years, he gave me hope, probably saved my life more than once. As a kid with special needs, bullied because of his sexuality, and because he was an easy target who wouldn't fight back unless pushed too far, I more than once considered taking my own life. I planned it, thought about it, and tried it. And then he said, so to people who are going through their own hell, not of their own making, there is hope, and there is light at the end of the tunnel. Kids grow up, teachers rarely do. <laughs> Just quoting him. <laughs> He says, but it just takes one person to take an interest and their lives change. I know mine did. And I'm like, whew. Like, I'm not reading that to say, hey, aren't I great? I just took the kid who no one else wanted in my group. I, I just visited him once every couple of years. I just said, yeah, come up and stay with us. It, it, it's hard work sometimes, even the short amount of times. Not an easy connection. God was at work. God's at work through us. We can make a difference when we come alongside people and bring the love of Jesus. By eating with sinners, Jesus showed that God loved them. And he showed them that actually the repentance that God calls us to it comes about through grace. It comes about through being accepted, by being welcomed, by being drawn in. Romans 2, 4 is talking about judgment for sin, but it says God's loving kindness brings us to the place 
of repentance. Here we are at the bottom. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. That's how people come to repent, because they see God's kindness. The passage Paul's talking about, don't pass judgment on other people for sin. He says, yes, there's judgment for sin. There is judgment for sin. It will come. But he says, it's not for us to pass judgment on other people. It's not for us to condemn people. We're to come and show God's kindness, God's love. That will lead to repentance. Our job is to lovingly show people God's grace. Sinners don't need to do something first to become worthy recipients of God's love. We become worthy as we respond to the call to follow him. If Jesus doesn't condone, he doesn't say it's okay to live a sinful lifestyle, but he brings hope and he brings power so that people can be transformed. He doesn't fear contamination from others. He contaminates others with his love. He spends time with them. He doesn't embrace their lifestyle. They embrace his. We must do the same. Some of us don't dare go near other people for fear of being associated with them, for fear of being associated with their way of life. Others, others of us spend time with them, but we find ourselves not really being with the church and we're embracing unholy ways. That's why it's so important that we're part of a church community, that we're part of a small group of friends where we can be encouraged and strengthened and remain accountable. But we're not called to isolation from the world. We're not to assimilate with the world. We're not to join in. But we're not called to be isolated. We're called to go. We're called to follow Jesus on his mission to those who are sick and broken and hopeless and helpless. Will you follow him? Will you follow him this morning as he leads us there? As we go together, will you say, yes, I'm going to be part of it? He's calling us this morning. I believe he's calling others this morning who feel that they are the sick ones, who feel that they are the hopeless and helpless. Maybe those of us who are just sitting in our booth, but yet we encounter Jesus. And he's saying, come, follow me, follow me, and I'll bring you new life. Let's pray together, shall we? The band might want to come back up. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Father, for sending your son Jesus. I thank you that Jesus, you went and you showed the love of the Father to a hurting world, to a rebellious world, to a world that didn't actually want much to do with you. But you wanted everything to do with them. And you called people, and you still call people. I thank you, you called us. You called us to follow you. Thank you, God, we can know your love. Thank you, God, we can know your power to change lives, to change our lives, to give us hope. And Lord, you, you call us to relationship with others, and God, you call us to go. You call us to go where you go. You call us to go to the hurting. You call us to go to the sick. You call us to go to the outcasts. You call us to go to those who no one else wants to go to and sit with them and love them 
and show your grace. And I pray many, many more will be transformed by the power of your love working through us. In Jesus' name, amen.